We continue our series on uh, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. As we've been involved in this series, uh, we are basing it off of the seven realities of how to experience God and to know Him and to do His will. So, just do a real quick review of the um, uh, really the graph that we have, the chart that we have to best explain uh, how we can come to know God and to obey Him and to experience Him. Uh, There are the seven realities. The very first reality, as we saw here, is that God is always at work around you. He is always at work, constantly around us. As he is at work around us, we move into the second reality, and that is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you, a relationship that is real and a relationship that is personal. So this God who is working everywhere is also desiring this relationship with you and me. But in the midst of that relationship comes an invitation. And God invites you to become involved with him in his work. And so God is always at work. And so because he's always at work, he invites us to join him in that work. Well, the question usually comes is, well, how do I know how he invites me? It is through the way that God speaks. And God speaks by the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances and the church to reveal his, himself, his purposes, and his ways. And so God speaks to us. But then once God speaks to us, we then come to a crisis of belief. Anytime you get God's invitation, it will lead you to a crisis of belief. And when he leads you to that crisis of belief, it requires faith and action. And then if you decide to say, God, I I want to go your direction, you then move in to an adjustment because you must make major adjustments in your life to join God and to do what he's called you to do. Once you make that adjustment, you come to the seventh reality, and that is you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. And so our desire is to get here naturally, but to get there, we need to understand that he's, he's working, he's developing this personal relationship with us, the invitation comes, and then God speaks to us. Last week, we looked at the fact that God speaks to us through the Bible and through prayer. Through the Bible is God's revealed word. Everything when we talk about how God speaks to us, it comes back to God's word. When we pray, It is to come back to God's word. We want to pray God's word and we confirm things that are found in scripture. We're going to talk about circumstances and the church today. And at times we will take our circumstances and begin to put all of our faith in circumstances. Hey, this happened, that happened, so it must be right. But let me just give you a reminder. Everything comes back to scripture. And that is your experiences cannot be your guide. It must always come back and be confirmed by the word of God. So this is how we're going to do this today. The more I I looked at this, circumstances and the church is that there are really two different uh, directions each one of those go. One is circumstances in your daily life and the other is circumstances when you're trying to make a specific decision. So let's break this in half and let's take a look at it. First of all, circumstances of daily life. God is always at work. And so God is always at work in your life. And so just in your life, when daily circumstances come in your life, 
How am I to know what God's will is? How am I to know what God wants me to do through those daily circumstances? I want to give you some, some items. Number one, the first thing is this, is that the, in the circumstances of daily life is that God's perspective is vital. God's perspective is vital. Now, we can't see all that God sees in our situations. One of the characteristics of God is that he is omniscient. That means he knows everything. And since God knows everything, when you and I are in the middle of a situation, we can't see everything. But yet God does see everything. We do not know how God intends to use the good things and the difficult things in our lives to develop our character or maybe even to help others come to know him better. And so as you go through difficult circumstances in your life, we always need to remember that God can develop our character in the difficult times of life differently than he can during the joyful, happy times. And there's some things that God can develop in your life and my life that can only be done through tough times. And almost every one of us can stand up and give a testimony to that. I would have never known the love of God or the grace of God or the peace of God or the mercy of God if I had not gone through and you fill in the blank. And so when we are trying to look at circumstances of daily life and to understand what it is that God is doing, getting his perspective is vital. And, um, you know, it's interesting in that, uh, Michael, we didn't, uh, we didn't uh, kind of practice this, but Michael brings out Ken Logan uh, to you. And, and I was going to share just a word about Ken Logan was 87 years old. And, and he, he, he died a, a week ago and went to, to be with the Lord. But see, for four years of Ken's life, last four years of his life, as he battled with cancer, he was living on borrowed time. I mean, there, there were times we get a phone call thinking this was going to be it. And yet God allowed him to continue to live through those four years. But what Ken Logan did during those four years was he told everybody that came into contact with him about Jesus. And he shared his faith with so many people, uh, so many doctors, so many nurses, so many care people. Anybody that came by to see him, he would share God's, God's word with them. And share that incredible message of salvation. And it was interesting the comments that I got, not only from his daughter Sharon, but also from other members. And they would pull me to the side and they said, Ken Logan lived a great life, but let me tell you what he taught me. He taught me how to die well. He taught me how to die well. Because he had such a faith in God. And he didn't bemoan his circumstances. And though it was difficult, God was using him to touch so many lives and so many seeds of the gospel were planted because of one individual's life because not only how he handled life but also how he handled death you see sometimes circumstances come in our lives that are so bad that we find ourselves uh, asking God why is this happening to me why is this happening to me and this is why God's perspective is vital we need to understand his perspective. One of the great stories in the Old Testament that point this out uh, is, is uh, the man by the name of Joseph. Joseph, his dad was Jacob. There were 12 brothers in the family. The dad had a favoritism to Joseph. The other 11 brothers didn't like that. So one day they took Joseph, they threw him in a pit. 
Then they didn't know what to do with him. Some slave traders came by and they said, why don't we sell him? So they sold their brother into slavery, went back to their dad and said, oh, we got bad news for you. Uh, your son, Joseph, has been killed by a wild beast. And so they let his father think that he had been dead. But yet, the slave traders took him to Egypt. When they got him to Egypt, they sold him, and all of a sudden, he was working as a slave in Egypt. But he began to do well, and they put him in the house of an official. They put him in the house of an official, uh, and, and he began to uh, prosper. All of a sudden, some false accusations came against him, and uh, when those false accusations came, they believed the others. They didn't believe him, and they threw him in prison. So now he's in prison for something that he didn't do. And then while he's in prison, two men come to him and they said, hey, we both had terrible dreams. Can, can somebody help us? He says, God's given me the ability. Tell me what it is. They gave him their dreams. He looked at one guy and he says, I got good news for you. He says, you're going to be restored to your position. And the other guy says, how about me? He says, I got bad news for you. You're going to be killed. And sure enough, it happened. This guy got killed. The other guy got restored to his position. But before they left prison, he says, hey, you, they're getting restored to your position. Will you do me a favor? Will you tell Pharaoh what I did for you. Guess as I sure will. Sure enough, he got up there. What did he do? He forgot. Didn't tell anybody. And so guess what? Joseph, he's in jail again, staying in jail longer and longer. All of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can figure it out. This guy remembers. I knew a guy in prison. His name's Joseph. They bring Joseph. He comes up. He says, God gives me the ability to, to uh, translate, interpret these dreams. He gave him the dream. He says, this is it. You're going to have seven years of plenty, then there are going to be seven years of famine. You need to store up everything you can in the plenty so everybody can have something to eat when the famine comes. Pharaoh looked at him, wisest man I've ever known, sounds like a great plan. I'm going to take you out of prison, promote you to number two in command. You run the whole program, and the only person you report to is me. Pretty good career move for Joseph. So now he's suddenly he's like number two. Then his brothers come and they're starving over here and they come and they don't know who he is because he's been around and he's grown older. He knows the Egyptian language and everything. And they come in. Joseph saves his brothers, saves his dad, moves them all into Egypt so they can have food. And then he reveals himself to them. And then when his dad dies, the brothers are nervous because they said, I'm thinking that Joseph is going to take us out because he's so angry. The only reason he hasn't is because dad was still alive. But now that dad has stepped out of the scene, he's going to come down on us. And this is what Joseph said at the end of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says this. He says, as for you, looking at his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see what his perspective is? Their perspective is, but God meant it for good. And he was able to go through all of that, which I just covered 12 chapters in Genesis in about three and a half minutes, okay? He, he went through all of that, and he didn't get bitter. He didn't hold it over them. He says, I have got God's perspective. Because if all of that had not happened, then my family would have died, and, and no telling how many other people in Egypt would have died. God's perspective is vital, okay? Number two, Henry Blackaby made this statement. I read it over and over, and I want to make sure you fully understand this. It says, do not try and understand what God is like from the middle of your painful circumstances. I want you to write this down because every one of us is going to go through painful circumstances. And when we get into painful circumstances, our first response is going to be, God, you have failed me. God, you don't love me. God, why are you doing this to me? And you begin to question who God is. Do not try and understand what God is like 
from the middle of your painful circumstances. That's not saying don't connect with God. Key is here. Don't try to understand what God is like. When you're in the middle of painful circumstances, your first thought is, God, you are not a God of love. You are not a God of mercy. You are not a God of grace. And all you're doing is bringing heartache to me. So understand that statement, and then you go to the third point, and this is it. You settle in your mind that God forever demonstrated his love for you on the cross. You settle this in your mind that God forever demonstrated his love for you on the cross. As you begin to go through painful circumstances, before you start questioning the love of God and mercy, you just need to step back and you look at what happened on the cross. Because, you see, what happened on the cross was important for every one of us that is here. Because the Bible teaches that every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has done wrong. Every one of us has, has experienced this brokenness from God. And because we've done that, that has separated us from God. And because we've been separated from God, the Bible says that the payment for our sins is death. And that's not just physical death, it's also eternal death, which means we'll spend eternity separated from God. And in our own efforts to try to be as good as we can be, we can never attain the holiness of God. And so what God would require is that a sacrifice would have to be made for those sins. There has to be a payment for our sins. There has to be mercy and there has to be justice and mercy that takes place. And so what God did was he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live a perfect life. And then he went to the cross and he died. He was holy. He was perfect. And he became our sacrifice. He says, I will pay for the sins of all the world. And I can do that because I have a holy life. And I'm the son of God. And he died. And when he died, he took our sins and placed them on his shoulder and paid the penalty. But then three days later... He rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin. He conquered death. And he gives us that incredible hope for eternal life. And so what God did was he demonstrated his love for you by sending his son and dying on the cross. So anytime that we start trying to experience God and to understand his will as we go through life and we navigate life, You need to settle in your mind that God forever demonstrated his love for you on the cross. You don't ever have to question his love. He is on record for how much he loves you by his son going to the cross. So once you understand that, and then you're in the midst of painful circumstances, then that's when you go to number four. And when you go to number four, that means that you ask God to show you his perspective on what's happening. That should be your prayer. Ask God to show you his perspective on what's happening. God, I am going through some difficult times. I don't understand it, but I know that you love me, and what I need from you is your perspective. Can I get your perspective on what is happening to me? And once you've asked God for his perspective, then you move into number five, and that is that the Holy Spirit will take the Word of God and help you to understand your circumstances. The Holy Spirit will take God's Word and will help you to understand your circumstances. Now, with experiencing God, it says that God speaks to us by His Holy Spirit through His Word and through circumstances. 
And so when you're going through these circumstances, it causes you to stop and to say, God, help me to see your perspective. And then as you read God's word, the Holy Spirit takes the words of the word and begins to help you to understand the circumstances that you're in. And so when you acknowledge God's love and you acknowledge his sovereignty, you then depend on his sustaining grace to try to get you through that. Do you see how that flows? So I'm in the middle of difficult circumstances. I'm not shaking my fist at God and questioning his love. Now, there's no problem ever to question God, and that is to say, I don't understand what's, what's happening here. But when I'm questioning him, it means that, God, I need to understand your perspective. I know that you love me, and I know that you're at work all around me. I've just got to understand this perspective. And you see what happens is at times when we go through difficult circumstances, God is at work. And when we understand his perspective, it makes it more bearable for us to go through those circumstances because we say God is at work. You know, I've seen when people have gone through difficult health challenges, and as they go through health challenges, and and they're wondering what possibly can come out of here, there are people whose prayer lives have been renewed because they have been praying for you and for your family. And all of a sudden, they've got a greater desire to pray because they see that need, and so they've been praying. There are other people over here who don't even know Christ, but yet they see the way that you're handling those situations, and they're being brought to Christ. And when you get to the end of those circumstances, it'd be so great if God could just give you the whole picture, and you step back, and when you step back, you say, look at whose lives have been encouraged because of what just happened. Look at who the number of people that have been brought to faith in Christ. Look to those who've taken their first steps towards the Lord because of that situation. And so what we're doing is we're asking for God to give us his perspective. The poster child for experiencing God has been Moses. And God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, and he called him, and he says, Moses, I've seen the oppression of my children, uh, Israel, that are in Egypt, and uh, we're going to take them to the promised land, and I want you to be the one to do that. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the people, and I want you to tell them what I've told you, that I am the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that, and that I've seen their suffering, and that we're going to take them away from Egypt, okay? And then I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go to him and just start him out and say, hey, we're gonna, we want to get permission to do a three-day journey into the wilderness. So Moses, and we'll talk next week about, he, he fought with God, but he finally said, okay, I'll do it. So he goes and he tells the people the story as to what God has told him. And the people responded by, it says, they bowed and they worshiped. They were so excited. God has heard our prayer. This is good news. Well, then he went to Pharaoh. And when he went to Pharaoh and he says, hey, Pharaoh, we'd like to take like a three-day pass and to go into the wilderness and, and do a feast for our God. Pharaoh comes back and says, are you kidding me? I don't even know who this God is. And you're on a three-day pass? Apparently, you guys have got some free time on your hand. Apparently, we're not working you hard enough. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. You know how you're making bricks? And we bring you the straw to make the bricks? Uh Uh-uh. You still make bricks? We don't bring the straw. You get your own straw. So you go get your straw, make the bricks, and the quota's the same. I know you got less time to get it done, but apparently you got all this free time on your hand because you want the three-day pass. So it's going to be tougher on you. 
So guess what happened? It got worse. And they began to work these guys harder. And when they began to work him harder, they said, why is it? They said, it's because of what Moses asked Pharaoh. So then you come to Exodus chapter 6, verse 9 through 12. In Exodus 6, 9 through 12, this is what it says. Moses has a, has a conversation with God. And in fact, in chapter 5, when Moses talked to the people, uh, they told Moses, because of what you've done, we now stink before Pharaoh. That was the phrase they used, we stink before Pharaoh. This is what it says. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. And they had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Because God says, go tell them the story again. He told him, they don't want to listen. So then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? Do you agree with this? I mean, my people won't listen to me. Why do I think Pharaoh is going to listen to me? This is what God says. God says this. He says, Moses, even then, when you go back to him, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. Here comes the perspective. So I will bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. And why is he doing this? Because when I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. He says, Moses, I could snap my fingers and the people could be out and they could be in the promised land. But you see, I'm going through this process because I want the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord. Also, I'm going through this process because I want the people to see miracle after miracle after miracle as they begin to go through this wilderness so they will know that I am the Lord. The perspective is vital in order for us to understand the confusing circumstances that many times we find ourselves in. When you're in those times of bewilderment, don't question God of his love for you. Don't quit following him, but seek his perspective and then wait on the Lord. So you have circumstances of daily life But then second of all, you've got circumstances that affect decisions. And this is when most of us, when we're looking to determine who are you going to marry, what college you're going to attend, what job should I take? And and we began to look at circumstances and see how they line up as they affect these decisions. For many of us in making decisions, it's not a choice between good and bad. It's a choice between good and best. Which is the best decision that I need to make? I'm just going to tell you real quickly, the best place to start is you need to start by saying, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I will do it. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the adjustment, I commit myself to follow your will. No matter what it looks like, Lord, I will do it. And whenever you get ready to approach making a major decision, don't even take the first step until you have at least gotten to the point to where you say, Lord, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. Because once you get to that point, then you're in business. God's ready to do some dealing with you. But if all you're going to do is, God, show me a lot of things out here, and I'm going to figure out if I want to follow your will or not. No, it starts right out and say, God, whatever it is, I want to do it. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. So 
<clears throat> how do circumstances affect you making decisions? Number one is identify your spiritual markers. Identify your spiritual markers. Throughout the Old Testament, it's interesting, if you read through the Old Testament, there are a lot of times when God asked them to set up memorials. And they're usually altars made of stones. And they're even called stones of remembrance. In fact, when they crossed the Jordan River and, and God made it dry, as everyone passed across, he then told the tri- each one of the tribes to take a stone and to put it in the middle of the river and set up an altar. And as a stone of remembrance, when they won some incredible victories where God showed up in a big way, they would build these stone altars. And they would call them stones of remembrance. And the reason they called them that is so that whenever you pass by there and your children pass by, they would see that and they say, hey, mom, dad, why are those stones here? And then you begin to tell them exactly what it is that God did. It was an incredible encounter that we had with God. Likewise, we need to build spiritual markers in our lives. Each time we've had an encounter with God. Let me give you a definition of a spiritual marker. A spiritual marker identifies a time of transition, decision, or direction when you clearly knew that God had guided you. Now look at that. There's transition, there's decision, there's some direction, and you clearly knew that God had guided you. There wasn't any question about it. That's a spiritual marker. And what will happen is that as you identify these spiritual markers, over time you can look back at your life, and the older you get, the more you can look back. And you look back and you begin to see God did this, God did this, God did this, and God did this. And you begin to identify God's activity in your life. You're the only one that can do it for your life. You can't turn this over to anybody else. This is something that only only you can do for your personal life and to begin to look at times of transition, times of decision, or times of direction. Now, now that you've got that in the back of your mind, I want you to look at the next thing. And the next thing is this. Every act of God builds on the past with a view toward the future. Every act of God builds on the past with a view toward the future. This is why it's so important for you to know what your spiritual markers are. Because what I do is I identify my spiritual markers. This is what God has done in the past. Now, God, I've got a decision to figure out what I'm supposed to do next. And when you see the way God works, when you're ready to take this next step or this direction, it will always be in sequence with what he has already been doing in your life. God is not one that goes off on tangents. God does not take meaningless directions or detours. Everything God brings into your life for your decisions, et cetera, is for a purpose. And so you cannot look back over your life and begin to see hodgepodges going all over the place. Every act of God builds on the past with a view toward the future. He builds your character in an orderly fashion with a divine purpose in mind. So when you face a decision about God's direction... You need to review your spiritual markers. Do not take the next step without the context of God's full activity in your life. This will help you to see God's perspective of the past and the present. And then you begin to look at the options that are before you, and you begin to see how they match up, and it begins clearer the next step that you are to take. And oftentimes, that next step, that next direction, 
is sort of a combination of everything that God has been doing in your life, and it all adds up to say, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is the next thing I'm supposed to do. Every act of God builds on the past. So do you see how you, what you're supposed to do? You identify spiritual markers. And you see your next step. I, I, I did this. Uh, I did this in 2001 when I traveled up to Holland, Michigan, and I sat down with an individual for a day and a half on something that I think today we call it like life mapping. And what this man did was he sat down with me and he said, let's just talk about your life. And he started from birth <laughs> all the way through. And I explained that coming out the birth canal. No, I'm just kidding. No, he talked about, uh, you know, hey, you know, hey, you're born in Birmingham and you grew up in Atlanta and, and you began to talk about. And then every so often, just, just, he said, just kind of hit the, the, the major things in your life. And, and everything from uh, the family heritage of going to church to making decisions as an eight-year-old, baptized as a nine-year-old, 13, 14, uh, feeling a, a call to do something uh, full-time for God, to where you got called to college, to what you did there, to how you felt you got called to, to your uh, first job at uh, Bell South, uh, South Central Bell, to how you were called to, to get married, and, and on and on. And it was a fascinating opportunity just to talk and begin to see things. And he'd make notes. And he'd write out this big timeline. And then he'd look over and you'd tell him about your first job. What did you do in that job? Then you got your next job assignment. What did you do in that one? Then you did this. What did you do in that one? And you began to talk about all of these. And before you know it, you looked all over it and you said, oh, my gosh. It's incredible what God has done to lead me to be here to be the pastor at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. This is exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And it was so clear because I could look back over all those spiritual markers and say, there was a confirmation. This is what you're supposed to do. So God uses those circumstances to show us his will. His activity in the past will help you to determine what it is in the future. Okay? God speaks by the Holy Spirit. He speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and the church. The church is a whole lot shorter than circumstances. Are you with me? Are you ready? Here we go. The church. I'm going to break it down some. Church in daily life. Your church in daily life, there's just one thing you need to know about your church in daily life, and that is this. Each person needs to find their place of ministry in the church. It is not an accident that you have joined this church. I believe that God puts people in the body and if he's put you in this church, there's a purpose and a reason why you're in this church. You need to find out what it is. You need to find out what it is that you're supposed to be doing and plug in and say, God, this is what I'm, I'm here for. But not only does that happen, but sometimes when God brings a person in the church, it is because God has something for the church to do that this person can be a major part of and can even help with the direction of the church. I'm going to explain, I'm going to explain this to you. When I was pastor in, in Ruston, Louisiana, um, I, um, I, you know, all the issues talking about abortion and things, I, I knew that I was against abortion. I, I was pro-life and I understood that, that um, birth, uh, happened, that life happened at conception, but it was not, it was not something that, it, that I was making a big stand on. We had a couple that joined our church from Arkansas, Gerald and Rose Long. Gerald was an insurance agent and Rose, a uh, stay-at-home mom. She was passionate about this. And she was, she was passionate about trying to help young girls who had unexpected pregnancies. And, and she felt that there was such a ministry there and felt that we need to be involved in that. 
And so as Rose Long is in our church, and I, and I, and I just kind of hear her passion and, and, and begin to get challenged on some things, all of a sudden in the city of Ruston, they had something called an emergency pregnancy service. And it was, it was out of the Catholic Church there, and for 17 years they'd had that. But the Catholic Church had to discontinue it because of space requirements. They needed the extra space in their church building, and thus they couldn't house this emergency pregnancy center. And so word came that that was being discontinued. But at the same time that had been discontinued, there was a long-time family that lived across the street from the church who uh, one of the spouse members had died, the other one was getting ready to move to a uh, long-term care facility. And they said, we want to give you our house. And so their house was right across the street. And and long-term plans, we were thinking, well, maybe we could take that house down and put parking over there. But the fact that that house was available, and I've got Rose Long over here talking to me about the importance of of taking care of these pregnancies with children, uh, with these young women, and then the fact that in Ruston it had just shut down and they saw 600 women a year were on a college campus and a lot of college students were coming in there. And so now there was no ministry, no ministry for these 600 children. We made the decision, and I came before our leadership, and I said, you know what we need to do? We need to put the Crisis Pregnancy Center in this building right here. And as a church, we agreed to do that. And so we took this property that was really prime property for us and said, let's put a Crisis Pregnancy Center over there. We put the center over there, and Rose Long became the director of that. You see, when you look at how God speaks to you through the Bible and through prayer and through circumstances, the circumstances of the fact that she came into our fellowship was just perfect because all the timing that God had. It was no accident that Rose Long came a part of our church. And what perfect timing because God knew that the Catholic Church would need their space and he knew that there was going to be a house available across the street from our church and he just had to get it through the thick skull of the pastor at First Baptist Church to know that this is what he needed. It's amazing how this works. Circumstances in daily life. And last of all, church, excuse me, church in daily life, church in making decisions. And this is it. Trust God to give direction through other believers. You as a Christian are so fortunate to know that when you're struggling with decisions in life, that you have got spiritual people that you can come to and ask for their opinion. They're not the ones that will make the decision for you, but they will help to give you some insight on that decision. And so the church, that means the counsel of others. Trust God to give direction to other believers. Turn to them for advice on major decisions. And oftentimes through those, it'll make it clear what you're supposed to do. Randy Pittman, I don't think Randy's here today. Uh, I know they've got some break uh, with uh, college. But Randy Pittman and I have known each other for 40 years. We knew, met each other in college. And uh, we, we've been uh, confidants on a number of things. And I remember a number of years ago, he came by my office and says, I just need to talk to you and tell you about um, this opportunity. He has been in the business world all his life. And all of a sudden, he had an opportunity from a man by the name of Andy Westmoreland, the president of Sanford, came to him and said, we'd like for you to be the vice president of university advancement. This puts Randy into a whole different uh, uh, ball game of, of what he's used to doing and working. And he came by to talk to me, and he talked to other men in this church. 
and, and began to counsel and talk. And one of the great things is, you know, I'd bring some things out and that'd be good. And he'd think about something. We'd talk back and forth. And what was neat was he, he did this exercise, this spiritual um, markers, because he started talking to me about his life. And he says, you know, I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this, and I did this. And let me tell you what this position is. This position wants me to do this and this and this. And if you added up all his experiences from the past, it led perfectly to this opportunity. It was great. And he made that decision. If he was here today, he'd stand up and say, it was the best decision I've ever made. He loves it. It's right in his sweet spot, right in his wheelhouse. Man, this is exactly what he needs to be doing. But you see, what happened is he, he did exactly what we've just talked about. He went to God in prayer. He looked in God's word. He did those spiritual marker inventories, and everything came together. He then went to counsel of others to make sure he's not missed anything. And when all of that came together, then all of a sudden, boom, he could proceed with confidence with the decision that he made. God speaks to us. And God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and through the church. And so what we need to do is to be open to this and say, God, these are the steps I want to take. I want to experience you, I want to know you, and I want to do your will. And once I know that, I want to get to the point to where when the crisis of belief comes, I will make the decision to follow you, and I'll be willing to make whatever adjustments are needed so that I can then obey you and experience working with you, you working through me to accomplish your purposes. And it gets down to that part of listening to hear. God speak. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. And as, uh, as your heads are bowed, I want to do two things with you. I want God's Spirit to be able to just move unhindered in here right now at this point. There's some of you that when I started this message, that's where you were, and that's in life's difficult circumstances. And you were looking for some kind of word of either an answer or comfort. So right here in this moment, if you are walking through those difficult circumstances, I would love for you to pray to God and say, God, please give me your perspective on what I'm going through. Take just a moment and settle in your mind that God has forever demonstrated his love for you on the cross. And so thank him for that. As you thank him for that, then say, God, I need to know your perspective. And the reason, Father, I want to know your perspective is so that I can be faithful through all of this. And I want to be used for your purposes. Doesn't mean that you don't feel hurt. Doesn't mean that you don't feel pain. And it says that the Holy Spirit is a great comforter that can come and to, and to help that and help alleviate that. But what it does say is that God, I just want to see your perspective. I just want to see it through your eyes. 
And I need the strength to keep on going. And so this morning, that's God's word for you. There's some of you that are here today that are having to make some pretty major decisions and maybe even some minor decisions. But you don't want to do anything that's outside of God's will. And so today, you began to talk to God and say, bring up the past activity. Help me to see how you've worked in the past. And begin to open my eyes to what that next step is supposed to be. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when Jesus was talking to his disciples on the night of his arrest, he told them that he had to leave them, but that you would send a comforter, a helper, the Holy Spirit, that would guide them into all truth. Lord, it's our prayer that your Holy Spirit, at this moment, is guiding each person in this congregation into your truth. And as you guide them into your truth, that you'll give them a comfort and you'll also give them direction. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.